Amen. Check this out. One day, these two guys were, they were talking at work and, and one of them began telling, you know, each, uh, the other one about his problems that he was having in his family. You know, stuff you do on a Monday morning at the cooler or whatever. I don't know. But after a while, the other guy, he's going on about his problems. But the other guy, he finally can't take it. He pipes in. He goes, oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. You think you got family problems? That ain't nothing. Listen to this. And he says, a few years ago, I kid you not, I met this young widow with a grown-up daughter and we got married. Well, and after that, my, my, my father married my stepdaughter. And so that made my stepdaughter my stepmother and my father became my stepson. And my wife became mother-in-law of her father-in-law. But that's not all, Chris. One day, the daughter of my wife, which is now my stepmother, had a son. Well, this made him my half-brother because he was my father's son. But it also made him the son of my wife's daughter and at the same time, my wife's grandson, which now made me grandfather of my own half-brother. But that's still not all. One day, my wife and I had a son, which made the sister of my son his grandmother and at the same time, my mother-in-law. But not only that, it also made my father the brother-in-law of my own child whose stepsister is now my father's wife. And because of all this, listen, I became my stepmother's brother-in-law. My wife is her own child's aunt. My son is my father's nephew. And now I'm my own grandpa. (laughs) Now, I know what you guys are thinking. You're saying, would you believe Bill Wimberly alone? Okay, and his friend, I'm just kidding. Where's Bill? I haven't got to tease him in a while. But uh, I don't know who that was. Okay, but I think what we can agree is, how many guys would say that family was messed up? <laughs> Whoa, you thought you had problems, okay? But folks, believe it or not, as messed up as that family is, um, you know what? I think I found one that's even more messed up than that. Totally mixed up, messed up, okay? And can anybody guess who it might be? Unfortunately, it's the family of God. It's the church. And, and, and we're messed up when we walk around acting like we got this practical amnesia thing, right? I mean, think about it, folks. You talk about being mixed up. We say we know who we are as the church. Of course, you're supposed to have that right answer, right? But half the times with our lips and our lives, we're given a different impression. We're walking around acting like we don't even know who the church is, which is us, okay? As we've been seeing, it isn't just detrimental in our walk with Christ. That kind of stuff, that keeps people from coming to Christ, okay? And so to avoid this atrocity, it really is, folks. It's an atrocity of Christians living like they got practical amnesia but not knowing who we are. We're going to continue our study from the Word of God on the people of God entitled the character of the church, okay? Now, we've already seen the first thing we need to know about the church, if we're going to stop acting like we got this practical amnesia thing, is the church is the body of Christ. We're not a building. We don't belong to us. We belong to Jesus, okay? The second thing, we're a body of one. That's the beautiful news. No matter who you are, what pedigree, what background, what size, shape, color, we're all one in Jesus. Jesus Christ. That's something you cannot find in this world, but you should find in the church. That's a powerful witness. And then last time, speaking of which, the third thing we saw is we are to be a body of what? Hope. Okay, a body of hope. And even though we saw that the Bible says that we should be uh, some of the most hopeful people on the planet. In fact, it says there, remember, it was bubbling over, over the top by the power of the Holy Spirit. So much hope you can't even contain it. Okay, the problem is what's happening. You look at the American church today, we're not full of hope. We're looking hopeless. And we said, well, why? Well, as we saw there, it's because we have forgotten, apparently, that we've been given a stable life in Jesus Christ. Apparently, we don't have our mind on things above, and it's all on this earth, and we've been forgotten he's given us a super afterlife. Nobody has a brighter future than us, right? And then we apparently have forgotten that Jesus is our forever high priest. Praise God for that, which means we get an endless supply of second chances. When we sin, he forgives. When he sins, he forgives. Again and again and again and again. Isn't that hopeful? Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it is, okay? And the problem is, you, well, okay, so I, I just, I'm not being a body of hope, Pastor Billy, you know, to the people around me and wherever I go in life. And No, it's not just that, folks. 
when you are walking around like that and you forget these wonderful biblical truths that Jesus has done for us, the church, okay, you're actually walking around. Here's what you're doing. You're given the impression the church is a body of despair. And I don't know about you, but if that's all I ever saw in Christians, I don't think I'd want to become one. How about you? It's serious stuff. Okay, we need to get back and live that which we are. But that's not all. The fourth thing we need to know about the church, uh, kind of dovetailing on last week, if we're gonna stop acting like we got this practical amnesia, is we are called to be a body of what? Joy. Don't worry. Be happy. Oh, it's better than happiness, which the definition of happiness is based on happenings. It's way better. We can be full of the joy of the Lord no matter what's going on with our happenings. Isn't that awesome? Okay, but see, I didn't say that. Jesus did. Open your Bibles to John 15. This is, man, it's just like, it's not only he saves us, but it's like the icing on top just keeps getting loaded on and on and on. All the wonderful things that he does for us before we even get to heaven as a result of being saved. And his joy is one of those wonderful gifts. John 15, verses nine through 11, just a couple verses here from Jesus, okay? He tells us about this joy. And notice how much it is, okay? He doesn't just dibble a little bit here and there and whatever, it's awesome. But here's what he says. Let's stand as we read God's holy word. John 15, verse nine says this. Jesus, of course, speaking, he said, as the Father has loved me, so I have what? I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. Well, if only I knew how to remain in God's love. I mean, that would be so awesome if I could, well, keep reading. He tells you. He said, if you what? If you obey my commands, that's how you do it. Then you'll remain in my love. Just as I've obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. Okay, so why, why do we need to do that, Jesus? What's the big deal about obeying you, listening to you, loving you, following you? Well, here's a payoff, right? Here's what he says, okay? Uh, he says, once you do that, he says, I've told you this so that whose joy? His joy. Do you think Jesus is lacking in joy? Have you guys ever saw the picture? Many times, unfortunately, people get the wrong picture and the idea of our Lord Jesus. You know, oftentimes you look at the artwork and he's depicted uh, with this, you know, just kind of greasy hair, Roman nose, skinny, sometimes depicted kind of freaky with his fingers going, you know, like that, right? That's not Jesus. First of all, he was Jew, okay? So he had, probably had a more prominent nose, probably a darker skin. Uh, oh, by the way, he was a, a carpenter, construction or both or whatever. Uh, he probably was pretty burly and what have you, and man's man, you know what I say? But you know what? One of my favorite pictures, I don't know if you've ever seen this, it's Jesus not just smiling, but he's laughing, and I really think that's biblical because a whole other context there. You see, Jesus, the children always love to come to Jesus. You know what I'm They always come to Jesus. And last time I checked, if you think that kids are going to come to you, and if you're walking around life going, they're going to run, right? So I think Jesus was a very joyful, and that's what he says, my joy. Now, this is God, God's joy. He says, you do this, you remain in me, you love me. He says, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you my joy. It may be in you and that, listen, your joy may be what? Complete. You may be seated if you can there. Complete. Man, that's an awesome word, okay? But here we see the Bible says that when you and I are obedient, our walk with God, we're not just filled with the love of God, we're filled with what? We are filled with the actual joy of God. And again, that's why I wanted to highlight that word there, complete. It wasn't just a little joy. It wasn't just, well, you know, if I get around to it or, or if I got some left over, you know, I, I'll, just, I'll, I'll, I'll just divvy it out of here a little bit here, a little there because I got to reserve it. No, he says, I'm not going to give you just joy. I'm going to give you so much joy that you are completely filled with it. Why? For the whole world to see, right? What a concept. 
that we would be full of God's joy so that as the children were excited to come to Jesus, when they see his joy in us, that the world wants to come and say, can I have some? Exact same concept, okay? And here's my point. I mean, surely we know this, right? We've all at least read the red letters of the Bible. You know, Jesus' words. I mean, this is John 15. You've at least read the book of John, right? We know that every Christian who's ever lived knows that the church were to be a, a, a body of joy. And it's not us. We're not faking it. We're not on drugs, right? It's real. It's from God. And we're, and we're supposed to be full of his joy. And, and we're, the people look at us and they go, look at those people. Look at that. She's incredible. They live here on planet. Just How many guys live here on planet Earth? Raise your hand. Now, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're freaking me out right now. Okay, but seriously, right, so, so, so we, they live on the planet just like the rest of us, but look at these Christians, man. They're going through troubles just like I'm going through troubles. They got hard times just like I got a hard time. But look at the difference. There's a group of people, they never get depressed. They're never down the dumps. They're full of smiles. In fact, they kind of bug me because they won't stop smiling, right? I mean, so surely that's what we're doing, right? Well, first, again, once again, stop calling me Shirley, but uh, well, you think so. Because I'm not making it up. We just read the text, right? He says, I'll do it for you. Not maybe, not might. And he says, I'm not just going to give you some, but I'm going to give you supernatural joy. It's complete. It's come over the top. I mean, you, you have no lack of this joy. Well, you would think so, but apparently, folks, we got some problems. You look at most churches today, it does not look like we're shouting for joy for the whole world to see. Looks like we're singing gloom, despair, and agony on thee. Rick, where you at? Come on. Right? And so my question is, what's going on here? This is just basic Christianity. What's going on with us? Why do we look so joyless when the Bible says we should be so joyful? In fact, dare I say the most joyful people on the planet. What a witness. Well, I think there's a couple reasons why. And the first reason why, it's a core issue. And if this happens to you, man, that's a sad place to be. Okay? Uh, We've lost the joy of our salvation. How sad that is. After all God's done for us, are you kidding me? We would stop thanking him for saving us and rescuing us from hell? What? Now, this is a passage from Habakkuk, right? You think you got it. Well, you don't understand, Pastor Billy. I've just had a rough time, a rough go at it. Are you kidding me? The joy of your salvation is a huge source of strength and joy in the midst of your hard times. Listen to what Habakkuk said. You thought you had a bad day? Watch this. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms. Oh man, there goes the crops. Uh, even though there's no grapes on the vine oh no there goes my second job uh, even though the olive crop fails oh pff, there goes plan c oh no and the fields lie empty and barren i ain't got no chicken account there goes the savings oh no that's what's going on here and even though the flocks die in the field and oh this is sad the cattle barns are empty let's just close in prayer that's sad when you lose your cows unlike those things on the front row But I mean, everything's gone wrong. This guy's got nothing. He's completely liquidated. Oh, no. Yet, I will what? I will rejoice in everything that's going on around me. Nope. I will rejoice in who? The Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my what? Salvation. That's the key, right? Folks, this is the great news. You and I do not have to be a slave to our circumstances. We don't have to walk around going, gloom, despair, and agony. No. Habakkuk tells us, even if our whole world is falling apart, even if it's crumbling all around us, you ain't got nothing less. You can still have what? Joy in the Lord. You can still rejoice. Why? Because listen, our joy as a Christian is not based on what happens to us externally. Listen, it's based on what has happened to us eternally. 
You understand this? We got to get this locked in. Our joy is not based on what happens to us externally because guess what? You can't always control the external, can you? But our joy is based on what has happened to us eternally, i.e. that we are saved, listen, and we're going to heaven, flip it around, which means we're not going to hell. Woo! All right, I may have no more cows, (laughs) but I'm not going to hell. I I have nothing left in the bank account, (laughs) but I'm not going to hell. You know what I'm saying? My car just blew up. Woo! I'm not going to hell. Now, see, we laugh at that, but that's true. That's always, it's a core issue. Remember when we first got saved? And people did want to slap that smile off your face. Here's my point. Where'd the smile go? What happened? Have you forgotten the joy of being saved? I mean, surely being saved from eternal damnation hell is enough to keep a smile on our face for the rest of our lives. Unfortunately, that's not true. You go in the average church today, what do you see? Listen, you don't see Christians excited about their future place in heaven. Are you kidding me? It looks like we've already been planted six feet under. (sighs) Now, you don't believe me? Listen to this. Oliver Wendell Holmes, here's what he said about Christians. Here's what turned him off. He said this direct quote. He says, hey, I might have entered the ministry if so many Christians didn't look and act like they were undertakers. In other words, you didn't walk around looking like you worked for the funeral parlor. That your whole life existed. It was just a big funeral service. Hey, come to Jesus. He's great. Turned him off. Turned him away from Christ. But, and you might be thinking, okay, so I'm not the most positive person in the world, Pastor Billy. And I, I, since I've gotten saved, I've gotten a little bit down the dumps over the years. And okay, so what? What's the big deal? Big deal. Folks, what do we read in our text? It's the joy of God's salvation that keeps us, listen, positive, no matter the negative, okay? And uh, therefore, if we lose that joy, what is gonna happen? It's like a double whammy effect. Even though there's plenty of things to be positive about, you'll never see it because you're so locked into the negative. But you don't even have to be negative because there's so much positive. You see what it does to you? It changes your mindset. And then you become that Christian. Have you ever been around that Christian? I mean, you go to a church service, man. It's, you're, you're excited, man. You just had a great uh, prayer time with the Lord. What a concept. You just got done reading the Bible. Before you even got to church services, what a concept. Because there's a daily life with you. On the way here, you weren't listening to heavy metal. Are you kidding me? You were listening to praise music. Man, you're so full of the joy of the Lord. By the time you got here, it's just oozing out. People are trying to slap it off your face, but you're darting them here and there, and you're making, you make it into the sanctuary, and you sit by that person. <laughs> and what do they do? And I got here, and it's the thing, and the thing, and over there, and I, I tried to go get some coffee, and they hand me coffee, and some kids over there, he poked his finger on the thing, and the deal, and then he gave me a bullet, and then he just stuck my Man, what is going on? Oh, and that's just brother to brother, brother and sister, or whatever, in, in the Lord. Folks, there's people that don't know Christ that come in here. Do you realize that? What kind of a witness is that? Hey, Jesus is great. He's all you need. And they sit by that person. No. There should never be that person if they're a real true born again Christian. 
if you remember what Jesus has done, it is enough. Salvation is enough. Like what this man said. Let's take a look at this. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you. Let me testify about my Lord. 22 years ago, I woke up in my apartment, half naked, having drunk myself almost to death. I noticed that I was cold, and I felt something on my face. What was I lying in? I stumbled to my feet, and I went to the mirror, and I turned on the light, and this very distinguished, eloquent preacher, lost and without Jesus, had slept the entire night in his own body. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He has saved me when I was such a wretch you would not have wanted to run me down with your car. But my Jesus, he bought me with his blood. And my Jesus, he came to me and my Jesus took away my sin and my Jesus took away my shame. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. That's my Jesus. Sometimes young men will ask me, Brother Paul, what's the secret? How is it that you preach the way you do? How is it, Brother Paul, that you talk about things like that? How is it that we see the power of God? What's your secret, Brother Paul? He found me in a pool of vomit. That's my secret. That there are not many wise or noble. I am the cheapest of all sinners. I was the lowest of the low. And that's what Jesus does. That's my secret. I had nothing. That's my secret. And you were probably much prettier than me on the outside, but I can assure you, you were not any prettier than me on the inside. They say to me, they say, how do you pray like that? How do you preach like that? I mean, what, what, what did you learn in your devotional time? No, you don't understand. He saved me. He saved me. Where's that great motivation? Did you get it from some verse you read? You don't understand. He saved me from what I was. There's no key except I was the worst in the pack. He saved me. What else needs to be done to motivate me? What else needs to be done? Is it salvation enough? Is it salvation enough? Remember? Remember where he found you? 
Remember how lost you were? Remember the darkness? The vanity? The sin? The slavery? Remember how hopeless it was? Bang! He saved you. In spite of you. In spite of me. I'm not here to belittle your circumstances. I don't know what you're going through. You might be going through some hard times, but let's be honest, folks. Let's deal with reality. Let's get to the core issue. Was Habakkuk on drugs? Was he delusional? Or is he trying to bring us back down to a powerful thing that we've forgotten? Whatever you're going through, it is not as bad as spending all eternity burning in hell. Can we just deal with that? And so again, I, 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 let's deal with the issue. I'll ask you the same question as we were challenged with. Isn't what Jesus has done for you, isn't salvation enough? Isn't being saved by the grace of God from the wrath of God enough to keep a smile on our faces? Woo! So what? I ain't got a bunch of money. So what? I don't have a big giant house. So what? I don't drive a Cadillac. So what? The car just blew up. So what? I'm not going to hell. God had mercy on me. He saved me. And I just dare you to smack that smile off my face. It ain't going nowhere. What more does he have to do? I don't want to hear it. What more does he have to do? Isn't salvation enough? And so here's the issue. Have you lost the joy of your salvation? Get your focus right. Get back on track. Folks, I've said this how many times before in other sermons? Here's a great spiritual exercise, and I really do mean it. You might be going through some hard times, but I'll guarantee this works every single time. But don't just do it once in a while when you're having hard times. Make it a way of life. I'm not saying this to boast, but every day when I get out of bed, the first thing out of my mouth, thank you, Jesus, for saving me from eternal damnation in hell. Thank you for saving me now 26 years ago on the corner of Auburn and Greenback in Citrus Heights, California. Thank you for saving a wretch like me. But every day you get up and you look in the mirror and you just simply say, I'm not going to hell, I'm not going to hell, I'm not going to hell. Woo! How to get you motivated. Then at lunch, peel away, get back to that mirror. Hey, just in case you forgot, you know the day you can get distracted. I'm not going to hell, I'm not going to hell, I'm not going to hell. Woo! And just before you go to bed, shut that stupid news off and go to the mirror and go, hey, I'm not going to hell, I'm not going to hell. Woo! What a day! Isn't salvation enough? Man, what a witness that would be if we would not lose the joy of our salvation. But you say, okay, so so, so what? So maybe maybe I'm a little bit negative. I've kind of not been so joyful I, I've lost the joy of my, no you don't understand it's not just you're not being a body of joy again you're walking around giving the impression to be a Christian is to be a body of depression now the world's full of that but if that's all I saw from the so called Christian can I be honest with you I agree with Oliver Wendell Holmes I never want to become a Christian because what makes you any different right? But that's just the first one. The second reason why we look so joyless is because we lost our trust in God's provision. Okay, so you're going to have hard times, right? As we saw with Habakkuk, it's okay, right? At least we're not going to hell. But not only that, God doesn't leave you hanging high and dry in your hard times. 
There's always things to be thankful about, which keeps the joy going. Now, I didn't say that. He did. Watch this passage, right? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Be joyful when it's convenient. Be joyful when everything's going your way. Hey, be jo- I'm sorry, wrong translation. Be joyful how long? Do you realize if God gives us a command, the ability is there? It's not make-believe? It really can happen. You really can be joyful always. Okay? In fact, not only that, pray continually. And, and give thanks in only the circumstances that you like. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? I love this. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many times do you have uh, Christians? Pastor Billy, I, I just, I, I've been a Christian for 9,322 years now, and I still am trying to discover God's will. If only I knew what God's will, read the Bible. It's all over the place. Just read this verse. That'll keep you busy all day. Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all things. Try that one. God's will is not that elusive like people want to think. You just don't want to obey. Right? But here we see in this text, we can listen, not only be full of joy once in a while. What's he literally say? This is awesome news. Why would we reject this? He says, you can be full of joy all of the while. How? By not just giving up prayers to God, but what's he say there? And giving up thanks to God. Why? Because again, our joy is not based on external circumstances. Listen, it's based on God who's in control of our external circumstances. Do you realize that? He's not just in control of our eternity. God is the one who's on the throne. God is the one who is sovereign. God is the one who's promised to work all things out together for good. Even our hard times, we still got something good in it. And so our joy, listen, is not based on external circumstances. It's based on God who is in control of our circumstances. And so surely we know this is basic Christianity. We know that God doesn't take a vacation from us. And when he says he'll never leave us nor forsake us, he means it. He doesn't lie. That we're his child. That we're adopted into his forever family. And just like we wouldn't throw our kids to the curb, okay, we'll take care of them. My kids never in all their years have ever got up in the morning and gone to the breakfast table. And I come downstairs. (laughs) I I hope dad feeds us today. Oh, (laughs) Please, Father, just a morsel of food. Please, Dad, please. We're hungry. Are you kidding me? It doesn't even enter their mind. And that's what God says to us. Jesus, Matthew 6, what's he say? Don't worry about your life. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. What what are you doing that for? Worries, nothing. It's like a rocking chair, a lot of movement, but you get nowhere. (laughs) Haven't you learned that? Instead, be joyful. He says, all you got to do is seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. I'll take care of that stuff. God will take care of us. And so surely we know that, right? That's, that's why we're so joyful. Okay. Are you, Let's go back to that person. You've sat next to that person, haven't you, unfortunately? You go in the average church service and say, what do you see? You don't see Christians full of excitement over the way that God orders their life. Mm-mm. It looks like they've been sucking the end off of an exhaust pipe. See, you have to make it rhyme, and that worked. But, but, but there is truth to that, because here's another quote. Listen to this, Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday, here's what he said, I kid you not. He said, to see some Christians, you'd think that an essential to being one is to have a face so long that you could eat oatmeal at the end of a gas pipe. <laughs> I still don't know what he means by that, but I love it. Okay. <laughs> Oatmeal of a gas pipe. Okay, I, I get your point, I think. Okay, but again, you might think, okay, Pastor, come on, you're being, you just don't understand. Okay, so I'm not the most thankful person in the world, and maybe I got a little bit ungrateful over the years, and, and I'm kind of whining and complaining about God's provision, you know. Uh, but what's the big deal? 
Folks, I'll tell you what the big deal is. What did our text say? It's trust in God's provision that keeps us what? It keeps us joyful and thankful no matter the circumstances. That's why we can be joyful all the time. Because we know he's going to do something fantastic. And if we lose that trust, we're going to lose that joy. And then listen, we're going to become thankless even though if you look around, there's lots to be thankful for. I'll give you a quick test. We've talked about this before. I just quoted Matthew 6, right? Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Now, right there in God's promise and provision, has he lived up to his end of the bargain? Then what are you whining and complaining about? Because I'll be the first one to tell you, folks, if you ever come here and you ain't got no clothes on, that's going to be a major distraction to preaching, number one. Okay, but number two, I go, okay, now you got something to complain about because God said he'd take care of you. No! I don't see you starving to death. I won't go there. So guess what? God's done a great job. He's, he, he's lived up to his end of the deal. Abundantly so. And something as simple as folks is losing our perspective on God's provision. It puts you in an unhealthy mode. Even though there's so much to be thankful for, you're just once again locked into that negativity. And that's all you can see. It's just, I don't like it. I don't like it. And you become that person. Now let's take a little test. Let's, it's called perspective. Put it in perspective. You think you ain't got it bad. None of us got it bad. At least not here in America, by and large. But let's just take a little test. Are there really things to be thankful for? Can we really be joyful always? Yeah, I think so. Let's take a look, right? Hey, if you find yourself stuck in traffic, don't get upset. Think of the people in the world where driving is an unheard privilege. Right? Hey, if you had a bad day at work, then think of the person who's been out of work for years, would love to have your job, right? Hey, if you despair over a relationship gone bad, then think of the person who's never known what it's like to be loved ever in return, right? At least you had an opportunity. Hey, if you agree the passing of another weekend, then think of the woman in dire straits working 12 hours a day, seven days a week just to feed her kids. It happens. Oh, you're doing just fine, aren't you? Hey, if your car should break down, leaving you miles away from assistance, then think of the paraplegic who would love the opportunity to take that walk. Dream of it. Oh, and here's one. If you should notice a new gray hair in the mirror, then think of the cancer patient in chemotherapy who wishes they had hair to examine it all. Folks, God's doing, he's real good to us. Oh, and here's the bottom line. If you find yourself the victim of other people's bitterness, ignorance, smallness, insecurities, or becoming that person, then think of it. Things could be worse. You could be one of them. In other words, you could be that person. Wow. I don't know. You put it in perspective. I think that there's lots to be joyful about. (laughs) Lots to be thankful. God's doing good, okay? And granted, maybe it's not everything we want, but he gives us what we need Right? And that's what he's promised. He's doing a great job. And here's the point, folks. A life of ungratefulness will not only ruin your reality. Listen, it gives a rotten impression of Christianity. Flip it around. It's not just, okay, so I'm not in a body of joy. I'm not being thankful for God's provision. Okay, so you got me. Ha, ha, ha. No, you're walking around in life acting like, hey, come to Jesus. Join the rest of the club. A bunch of whiners and complainers. And you wonder why they don't get saved. And you wonder why when you keep coming their way and you finally get around to witnessing, they go, (laughs) if that's all I ever saw on Christians, a bunch of whiners, hey, because that's what the world does. What's so different? Then why would I want to be like you? Listen, apparently this Jesus thing don't work. Oh, don't be like that. 
The third and final reason why we look so joyless is because, listen to this, it's to be a way of life. And it can be a way of life. Because God's taking care of our eternity. He's promised to take care of our external circumstances. We're not a slave to them. He'll work good through them. Maybe it's not what you want, but he'll give you what you need. It's okay. We're doing fine. And then it becomes a way of life. But we forgot that. And so we've lost our sense of celebration. Just everywhere we go. Just being joyful. Truly so. Not just in church services, but wherever we go. And lighten the place up. Not fake, not phony, but real. That's a powerful witness. And when that happens, man, great things take place. And guess who did it? The early church. <laughs> Watch this, man. This is awesome. Acts 2, 44, 46 to 47. And all the believers met together constantly. Whoa, stop right there. You mean they met even outside of Sunday mornings? <gasps> yeah, they did. Constantly. Why? Because they loved each other. Because they were family. And by the way, when you see the dynamic, who wouldn't want to hang out with these folks, right? They met together constantly. They shared everything they had. Oh, it's just like a real family. They worshiped together at the temple each day. Whoa, it wasn't just a one day a week thing. And they, they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with what? Not just joy, great joy, right? Because isn't it great when some Christian supposedly comes up to you and says, hey, you know, I want to take you out to eat. But then they whine and complain. I tell you, you didn't tell me things. You can keep your french fries. And ruins it, right? But these guys, man, they were just, who, who cares? Come on in, man. They're sharing their meals with, with joy and generosity. And it was real. It wasn't fake and no expectations. Everyone liked them. And what happened? Every day, the Lord added to their group others who were being saved. Now, folks, that's real. Those are our real brothers and sisters in Christ. The first church, the first group of believers called out of this world. That really happened. That's how they really lived. We're going to see them in heaven. The Bible says the early church not only shared good food together, they shared what? Great joy with each other. And because just that, nobody twisted their arm. They didn't feel guilty after the sermon. It was just a way of life. They were so excited about being saved. They were so excited about God being in control. And by the way, the early church experienced serious persecution. Nothing like we've ever experienced. And yet they're still meeting together. They're still full of joy. Woo! And because of this, what happened? Every day. Every day. Every day. Not once in a while. Hey, every couple months, maybe somebody, somehow, some way. Did you hear that one time with the one person that way over there, over yonder, that giant hill, you know, previous generations actually got saved? Every day, man, people were getting saved by the truckloads. Why? <laughs> it's common sense. Who in the world wouldn't want to be a Christian if that's all you saw every day from Christians? And not just individually, but when they got together corporately. And it wasn't fake. It wasn't hype. It was real. They were excited. Woo! I'm not going to hell. I'm not going to hell. Woo! Hey, I ain't got nothing to check an account, but I'm not going to hell. Hey, listen, God's going to do something fantastic. Okay, maybe I need to get what I want, uh, but I got what I need. I'm doing okay. I got clothes. I got food. Life is great, and I'm going to heaven. Woo! We forgot that. That's our way of life. To celebrate what God has done every where we go. But that's not what you see today. You go in the average church service, what do you see? You don't see the family of God celebrating his salvation and control of their life. You see them cold and stiff as if they had no life. Like a corpse. Oh, you've heard the term. 
right? You've heard maybe thrown out there. The frozen chosen. Huh? <laughs> it's not funny. Come to Jesus. He's so wonderful. He's incredible. He's all that you need. And you walk around like a dead body. Like a corpse. Oh. And then you see it to that, what they do to those new people that get saved and they haven't forgot the joy of their salvation and they haven't forgot God's sovereignty and they trust in his provision automatically just like a little child. And these people have the audacity to go up to that young person and put their arm around them. Don't worry. I know you're excited now and you're celebrating. Isn't that quaint? You'll come and become like the rest of us soon enough. If anybody ever does that to you as a Christian, that's a lie from the pit of hell. My Bible says never lose your zealousness, let alone your joy for the Lord. It is possible to always appreciate what he's done, to be thankful, to be joyful always. Don't become like that person. Don't become like that church. Don't become a corpse. Have you ever been to a church service that's devoid of joy? I mean, you're saved. But even the saved person goes, ew, icky, ugh. And you want to take a shower when you get home, right? Ooh, you guys are like a funeral parlor, a bunch of stiffs. Haven't you ever been there? No, folks, imagine yourself, you're the lost. A lost person comes in and says, hey, come to Jesus, he's great. (laughs) It's like a bunch of zombies. The walking dead, except this ain't the lost, this is in the church. Folks, we need to get back our sense of celebration. There's lots to celebrate about. And it's not fake. It's not phony. You're not trying to put on a show. It's just a way of life now. Every day. Woo! I'm not going to hell. God's got my circumstances under control. Yeah. And then we get together with other believers doing the same thing. What a dynamic. We need to do what this guy did. Watch this. He said, I got on an elevator in a high-rise apartment in New York City. And he said it was filled with dead people. He said, did you ever get on the elevator filled with dead people? They're just standing there. Dead. He said, as the elevator doors closed, I said to myself, who are these dead people? Maybe I'm dead. If we're dead, where are we going? I was relieved when the elevator went up. (laughs) He said, when the door closed, I did what you're not supposed to do. He said, I turned around and I faced the crowd. (laughs) <laughs> he said no no people are used to getting on the elevators and turning the face in the door and looking up the numbers that's what you're supposed to do right just don't look at mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he said I didn't do that he said so the next time you get on the elevator get on turn around face everyone and then smile right? he said it blows them away they don't know how to handle it he said so I said to these people he says lighten up it's the 75th floor express and we're going to be traveling together for a while and he said, these sophisticated New Yorkers steered, uh, uh, they began to back away from me and, 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 and were intimidated. And I said to them, why don't you, why don't you uh, sing? <laughs> he said, they were so intimidated by me, they did. He said, he said you, you should have been there. He said, we all started singing together. You are my sunshine, you are my sunshine. You make me happy. He says, then I got off on the 70th floor and this guy gets off with me and I asked, are you going to the same meeting that I'm going to? And he says, no, I just wanted to finish the song. <laughs> he said, people, please understand the world is dead. And as a Christian, I consider it my God-given responsibility to resurrect the dead wherever I go. 
That's what the early church did. And people got saved every day. And it wasn't fake. It was real joy of the Lord. They celebrate him. But isn't that how we should walk around in life? Full of so much joy that literally, maybe you do run into that person. But maybe God will soften their heart and through your joy, they can get corrected in love and join the rest of us. There's plenty to celebrate. 24 hours a day. But let's be honest. How many Christians do you know like that? Or worship, how many church services do you know that celebrate like that? And if you still don't think that losing your sense of celebration is a big deal, here's the crux of the study. Philip Brooks, watch this. He said, the religion that makes a man look sick certainly won't cure the world. I'll say that again. The religion that makes a man look sick <laughs> certainly won't cure the world. Why? Because who in the world would ever want to be a Christian if every time you saw one or went to their so-called celebration services, it was full of dead people who just stared at the wall, who looked at their phone the whole time, who couldn't wait to get out of there, who checked the scores of the game, who just couldn't even pay attention for a second. It was time to sing. They didn't sing. They didn't even open their mouth. All they might have stood up when you're supposed to stand up and sit down. They didn't pay attention to the sermon. They didn't do nothing. They didn't shake a hand. They didn't say hi. They didn't say boo. They sat there dead. And yet the whole time, hey, thank you, Jesus, for saving me from eternal damnation and hell. Thank you for ordering the steps of my life. Thank you. There's so much to be thankful for. Woo! What's, what's going on? What, what happened? It's not just something, folks, that affects us. It affects other people when they come in our midst. And that's why I'll say it again. If we can't stop playing church instead of being the church, maybe it's time you get out of the church. Because being a Christian is not a game. What we literally do and say literally affects people's eternal destinies around us. And it's high time we get rid of this practical amnesia. We've got to remember who we are. We are not a bunch of lifeless, depressing, dead people. Are you kidding me? We're the church of Jesus Christ. We are to be a body of joy. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? 
Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against Him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon 
He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.